0: Welcome to another episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. On this episode, we explore real-life experiences and best practices for defense contractors and business owners when dealing with unexpected challenges. From geopolitical conflicts to natural disasters, we'll uncover how these professionals navigate crisis and mitigate potential disruptions to their operations, get ready to gain valuable insights and practical strategies for building resilience in the face of adversity. Join us as we explore the world of crisis management and defense contracting and discover how preparation and quick thinking can make all the difference. Let's get into it. We're joined once again today by Mike Frieder, president of OnCall Compliance Solutions and a CMMC registered practitioner and CMMC certified professional, professional assessor. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Hey, absolutely, Rowan. Good to see you. Today's topic has us in crisis mode. What now? That's the question the defense contractors will be asking when things don't go as planned. Let's try to answer that right now. So, how can defense contractors prepare themselves for the unexpected challenges that arise from geopolitical conflicts and shifting global dynamics?
1: That's, that's a great question, Roman. Um you know, I, I think the 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 war in Ukraine um, really taught us a lot about being prepared for the unexpected in the private sector and in the defense industrial base, uh, you know, that is those companies who provide goods and services to the DOD. A um, couple of things that I would probably point out, you know, are super critical. Number one is <clears throat> you don't know what the DOD might need. Um, I've watched over the last year and a half, two years, as uh, many companies have come out of the woodwork providing things to the military that you just really wouldn't think of. I mean, food manufacturers with MREs have gone through the roof as we send food supplies overseas. I've seen rocket fuel manufacturers come out of nowhere, I mean, multiple of them, uh, as the United States tries to catch up with supersonic uh, missiles. Um, you know, we've seen just the overall growth of the defense industry uh, be a truly incredible thing, especially in manufacturing. So I think, you know, the first thing is to say, you know, listen, if you're if you're in defense, um, you need to have your eyes open. you got to watch trends. You've got to watch what the government is asking for contracts on. Um, I would highly encourage anyone who is you know defense focused to join things like the GSA so that they can have an ability to sell uh, basically out of that catalog system that the government has, both the DOD and non-DOD. And of course, you know, I would be remiss for saying, look, hurry up and get compliant uh, with DFARS and NIST because ultimately uh, you can't do any of the, you can't take advantage of any of these trends and any of these sales that are happening unless you're compliant. Um, Final thought about that is if you look at the way that, any country is going to wage war, the first shots are going to be fired as cyber uh, you know, cyber hacking and breakthroughs and um, attempting to steal information, oftentimes months before any kind of real war will break out. So if you are a small private business, okay, when I say small, I mean, I think if you're under 100,000 employees and you have not got a dedicated budget to risk management and a dedicated budget to cybersecurity, um, I would I would really encourage you to reach out and talk to a consultant like us about how cybersecurity and information security is handled at your office and get a grip on it. And further, if it was me, and again, this is just if it was me, um, and frankly, we are in this position, uh, I will tell you that I'm racing to get compliant and then I'm racing once I'm compliant to tell all of my customers about it to shout from the rooftops that we are a secure partner to do business with. We are secured by DOD standards being NIST SP 800-171. And, of course, uh, be ready. You know, there's an old saying, you can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket. And, you know, this is kind of the same thing. You can't win defense work without being compliant because the first thing they're going to do when they get in there and, and you win that contract is – You know, they're going to interview you about cybersecurity. A lot of times they're going to want to see your system security plan. Um, Again, we hear this from clients all the time. And then I think the final thought is if you're a subcontractor, if you're not even trying to win government work, but let's say you're subcontracting from a government uh, defense contractor. Believe me, they are going to send you, when you least expect it, a flowed down document that asks you if you're complying with these things. And if you say no, it is a complete work stoppage. It is a complete no-go. They can't use you. And I would just hate for anybody to really be in that position uh, when they didn't have to be, that they've got to lose out on work because they've got to go to the next highest bidder because they were compliant for the work. And that's the reality of what's going on out there right now. There's a lot of companies who have been doing defense work for a long time. that are losing millions of dollars because they're answering no on this compliance stuff and they're trying to sort of take a tough stance on it. And I'm watching those contracts float to newer companies that never won contracts before. Uh, so, again, I would just highly encourage anyone, part of being prepared is being secure and managing risk. That's what all of this DFARS, NIST, and CMMC stuff is all about. And, uh, you know, again, you just you just don't know. I mean, this war could, could honestly escalate into a much, much larger conflict. I think that that's probably what will eventually have to happen. I don't think Putin's going to stop. And I don't think that, you know, he's going to be put out of power either. I think that guy's going to stay alive for a while. And I think he's going to just continue the war machine because there's really no negative consequence to him personally. Um, I just I really don't see that that's the case. And I think that um, he's done a good job of spreading his kind of, you know, view of the world uh, within the spheres of influence he needs to. So I don't see a reason for for this to stop anytime soon, which means eventually there's going to probably be NATO involvement in this whole thing. Um, so again, we all know that you know the U.S. supplies a good bit of the war machine to NATO, and uh, you know
0: the, the, again, defense just continues to be an incredibly lucrative, great place to be. There you go. So technology can provide many ways to assist in this situation, in situations like this, other than preventative security, which seems like an obvious answer. So how how can defense contractors leverage technology and innovation to respond swiftly and effectively during crisis? Great question. So. I'll piggyback off the answer that I just gave
1: in terms of having the incident response policies and the incident response plans. You know, the next phase is you know, take a good, hard look at what technology you have in place right now. Um, here's a here's a great example. If you're a small to mid-sized company and you don't have an IT ticketing system to flow information quickly from team member to team member, or even just hold your single IT guy accountable, get one. Begin to put the systems in place that will allow you to handle crises in a smooth and competent manner. Um, you should not have an IT system that isn't actually monitored. And then that those those alerts generated while they're being monitored don't flow to the right people. And that should be tested on a daily basis just as part of your normal operations. So technology is a tremendous help. Number one, in terms of information flow. So accelerating information flow. I was working with a client the other day and they did not use Slack. They, they literally would call um, there's a construction company building things on a military base. They would call their superintendents on the cell phone to communicate things. And I thought to myself, how do you send a set of blueprints from the main office over to the guy in the field at the building? You don't. You can't do it. So what do we do? We said, hey, let's implement Slack, right? Slack has a government solution. Let's implement Slack and show them how they can improve communication dramatically, especially when they're working in alternative work sites and work environments. And that's all this company does, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're construction. So um, having improved communication, technology is huge in that. Um, Another one is in terms of technology transfer, right? In terms of uh, making sure that you've got information that's flowing from one resource to another, but that it's controlled and safe and it's safe to move that information. You're not going to wind up making an accidental ITAR or CUI violation doing it. Technology helps us do that. And then finally, ultimately, technology helps any defense business to scale. You know, you can only work so many deals without a proper CRM system in place. I still find a lot of defense contractors uh, who don't really have proper sales systems in place. So thinking about, like, Salesforce for government or thinking about even, you know, I think HubSpot's got a government uh, version now. Um, just leveraging technology in every area of your company to become more efficient. And to ultimately just reach a point where technology aids the business it's, and it's not holding it back. That's another huge thing. So, yeah, lots and lots of areas where I think technology really becomes key. But then, of course, with more technology comes the need to secure it better as well. So, you know, there is that element of it, too. You want to run things as simply as you can, but you also have to make sure you're not being held back in that regard. So it is a little bit of a – it is a little bit of a um, – you know a challenge if you will it, it is definitely a challenge
0: absolutely a lot of great information to take from that uh but now it's it's everybody's favorite favorite time of the podcast uh and i got to say this week's question is a is a doozy so, so we're talking about crisis mode we're talking about that kind of thing so if a, if a def- if defense contractors had to handle crisis using only items found in their office kitchen how would they save the day?
1: Great question. <laughs>
0: um, well, hopefully
1: they got a fire extinguisher in their kitchen. They put the fire out. That's, uh, that's what I would say. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I think it depends on the kitchen, right? I mean, I'll tell you what, in uh, in our kitchen, we have a computer. So <laughs> hey. that's kind of cheating, right? Uh, you know, I think ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, when, when a crisis strikes, um, I think that the biggest thing that could really help out in a kitchen would be the people themselves. Um, the, the number one mistake, and I've been involved in a lot of crisis management over the years, um, and as a matter of fact, actually it's one of the things that we do in our virtual compliance officer service is we handle the crises for our clients uh, and we are the liaison you know, typically to the authorities and the government and things like that. Um, I will tell you the biggest challenge during a crisis is communications. When things go wrong, there are a lot of people in the company that have to understand what's going on and provide input to get to a swift resolution. Not all of those people are people who can help actually remediate the issue. Some of them are stakeholders. Um, but either way you cut it, the bottom line is just that communication is always the key. And I don't know about you and your family, but I can tell you, me and my family, we spend a lot of time in the kitchen, and it's probably the central hub of communication. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably not a perfect answer, but there's a silly answer, and, and the answer is uh, I think that the people ultimately make the difference. And I think that the other thing that I see that um, I wish I saw more of is I think that CEOs and executives need and, – and again, maybe not in all industries, but in the defense industry, CEOs and executives at the top, they have to understand that their audience in the defense industry – cares about security it's not like let's just say the car industry where they care number one priority is in units sold you have a reputation and a contractual obligation a legal obligation to be secure and so you know i i see this a lot that the ceos are very very focused on the bottom line and believe me they should be and they've got a chief operating officer But if you're small enough to the point where you don't have a chief risk officer, a CRO, or some person who is dedicated to managing risk within the organization, then I would highly advise you to bring in someone from the outside. That's what we do in our virtual compliance officer uh, solution. We provide essentially fractional risk management uh, oversight for the organization. And let me tell you what, it makes one heck of a difference when you've got a complete outsider who is only focused on making sure that there's no net new risks, uh, it's a major difference. It it will save your business from going into extinction if something bad goes. So, um, you know, I think, again, I would just really encourage that thought process. I think it's a positive change. And as the world matures, we run better and better every day how to run these companies and make them bigger and things like that. I just think risk management is such a huge
0: thing. Oral of the story, leave your compliance needs to a company that has a computer in their kitchen. That's right. And and you thought your answer was silly. I'll give you a sillier one. And ways to resolve crisis, a lot of office kitchens have cake, and cake fixes everything. That's right. <laughs> On that note. That wraps up another great episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. We, we'd like to thank Mike for joining us again and talking about defense crisis and cake. Thanks, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure, Roman. <laughs> but the conversation doesn't end here we encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. That's us. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to be the first to know when new episodes are released. And we truly appreciate if you could take a moment To rate and review the show, your feedback helps us continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us again on the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time.
1: See you, everybody.